question. Why do we talk out loud when we know we're alone? Conjecture. Because we know we're not. Evolution perfects survival skills. There are perfect hunters. There is perfect defense. Question. Why is there no such thing as perfect hiding? Answer. How would you know? Logically, if evolution were to perfect a creature whose primary skill were to hide from view, how could you know it existed? It could be with us every second and we would never know. How would you detect it? Even sense it. Except in those moments when for no clear reason you choose to speak aloud. What would such a creature want? What would it do? Well? What would it do? Radio Shane here and Montrex Radio is of course brought to you by Sasquatch Coffee. Have you tried it yeti? We're getting into the holidays here and if you guys enjoy coffee or you know someone who does, hey, why don't you guys look at uh and ordering some Monstrex or sorry, excuse me, some Sasquatch coffee. Uh maybe we'll get a Monstrex variety down the road here. But right now, Sasquatch coffee is where it's at. It's delicious. I enjoy it. So uh get yourself a, a bag or two and, and it makes a perfect gift. Having said that, that uh, intro, the, the first audio you heard on the show, that's from uh, uh, the, the, the show Doctor Who, Season 8, Episode 4, uh, aired back in uh, September of 2014, and it was entitled Listen. 
and I played that because it's going to play a little part in our show today, our discussion with um, my good friend and fellow researcher Larry Turner, who who's going to join us today. Uh, that when I first heard that clip, and I love the show Doctor Who. It's 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 just an interesting show. When I first heard that clip, I thought, wow, that kind of <laughs> what if what if uh, something had adapted to hide itself so well? How would you know? I mean, it could be, you know. Uh, especially when you're in the woods all around you and you just never know. We already have known animals that do that all the time. But what if something had adapted itself so well that that was its primary function to hide? And uh, that clip from the Doctor Who show spoke to me. And uh, I asked uh, Larry Turner to join me today on the show to discuss uh, things of this nature and and, uh, one's approach, whether you're researching or not, in the woods and he has some uh, valuable insight, I think, uh, have been, you know, something that he takes to heart uh, as far as how Sasquatch may perceive you and your demeanor when you're entering the woods, especially if it's built and adapted like I think it is to be the ultimate hide-and-seek champion. And so, uh, Larry, Larry Turner, are you there with me, my friend? I sure am, Shane. Well, glad to have you, Larry. What did you think of that uh, that clip from the Doctor Who show? Boy, that's that was just absolutely awesome. I I liked it. It uh, spoke to me as well. Um, really, to what I believe, um, if we go into an unknown creature such as Sasquatch, um, and how they. Like in the dark, they have a. It's my perception is is they know just the right amount of distance to stay invisible within the darkness. Moving oh, forward, yeah, uh, you know, and thinking about this and looking in in nature, um, you know as well as I do that uh, you and I could walk right by a black-tailed deer and never even see it because they right. just freeze. Now, take for a moment a Sasquatch, and what's what is the average color of a Sasquatch that you've heard? Uh, I will I'm say, you, I would say, yeah, I would say brown, uh, somewhere along the brown or an auburn color or even black. I mean, th- those are the three colors that stick out in my head with the, the rare one being the albino or white or gray looking one. Right. Now let's move, let's push that a little bit further. So as you walk in the woods, what are the darker shades of colors that you see? Oh yeah, they're they're dark. I mean, if you if you're in the the deeper parts of the woods, uh, there's a lot of shadows that play a part. You know, you got a lot of especially exactly. in the Pacific North. Yeah, you got a lot of Pacific Northwest. You got a lot of uh, moss and, and deep dark woods. And so, exactly. uh, if you look at yeah, if you look at your known animals, your your deer, your elk, your bear, you know, they tend to blend in quite naturally and quite nicely. Right. And moving forward, thinking about something that is in these color shades and within 50 yards of the shaded inside of a shaded forest, you've got sunlight, you've got stumps, you've got darks, you you know, dark colors of the whole array of dark colors while you're walking around out in the woods. Um, It's been said a lot of them peek around trees. Maybe I've never really seen one do that um, myself. But these particular colors, they're perfectly adapted to just be still or just hunker down. 
if you move that a little bit forward, since these creatures are wood, you know, they live out in the woods, uh, push that a little bit forward and say, you and I lived out in the woods for like three years. I don't think that we would have any problem evading uh, men. We would know that they would be coming. We'd hear their trucks. We'd hear their footsteps. We'd smell them. We would know exactly what to do to evade their sight as well. We just you know, don't it, have the amazing agility that these things have. Right. No, that, that's some, that, those are fantastic points. One of the things you, you were just talking about, uh, you, know, you know, talking about, you know, the environment uh, being, you know, in some of these areas, you know, dark, damp, cold, um, and, and, and a spot where something can conceal itself. Now you put into into effect something that, you know, a lot of these sightings, you know, people say, you know, it was motionless. I, I saw it, and then it moved slightly. Or, and that's how they no, noticed it. How long was that Sasquatch in the picture being motionless because it, it had uh, uh, basically camouflaged itself into its background? You know, by staying motionless, it looks like a stump. It looks like a tree. It looks like a bush. Uh, you know, bear and, and deer, I mean, they do the same thing uh, and um, – what I liked about the Doctor Who clip was the fact that it begins out with "listen," and that's something that is a key uh, thing that I think uh, Sasquatch utilizes is the the the, avail- you know, the advancement of its probably extreme hearing, possibly. But with humans, one of the things when we go into the woods, we really don't listen enough. I think uh, you know hunters they do. Um, because it's something they've they've developed over time to be a, a keen and good hunter. Um, how 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 important is it to really listen when you're looking, uh, you know, for something that is adapted to hiding? I really being an expert hider. How do you, how do you get yourself to listen attentively, attentively, and in, in, you know, being in the woods? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. And I'm going to use myself as an example. Uh, and I and you and I have talked about this quite extensively. Um, mankind, us, we typically live in, in cities or rural areas. Um, there's a lot of population around. The energy is different. It's very high. It's kind of, in my opinion, kind of could short circuit what we as man have been designed for. We've lost our latent skills, our latent uh, hunting skills, survival skills. And don't have that connection with the forest anymore. When I go out in the forest, per se, the first thing I do after I set up camp is I go away. I go as far as away, you know, far enough away that I don't hear anything. And I sit and decompress. And what I mean by decompressing is, is letting the city life go away, if you will. And I start concentrating on listening to the sounds of the forest. They're subtle. It uh, starts out kind of subtle. Um, I usually try to take 15, 20 minutes and kind of doing what, for lack of a better term, uh, tuning your senses. And what I mean is, is like, say, for instance, in the summer, um, the first thing I do is I kind of shut myself down and I start listening. The first sound, the most prominent sound in the forest here in the Pacific Northwest are the bees. Um, it's just buzzing like you wouldn't believe. You typically, you know, if a person came out in the forest like, like they just drove up and started hiking around, they'd never hear the bees. 
Next thing that fills in is the birds. There's different varieties of birds and stuff. You start picking that up. And there's these different layers that happen as you're tuning into the environment, if you will. And all of a sudden, everything's on loud. The next thing that happens, then your, you know, your ears are set. My eyes are closed. I'm still listening to stuff. I then start tuning my sense of smell. And you know, just to one breath at a time, pretty soon that gets tuned to where you could smell the forest floor. Um, the different stages of composition of the forest matter that's on the floor becomes what would be normal um, that you would be smelling and, and so forth. And then with, ear, with your eyes, you open your eyes, um, you adapt to the, the light that's in the forest. It's kind of a shaded light, sort of like what you'd be a little bit darker than sunglasses. And after a time, your vision gets to a point where you can see a flick. Oh, that's a bird. Oh, that's a, you know, a deer just flicked his ears. Um, and then with the smell or the sound, the first thing is, as a hunter myself, as I go by, by sound, and what I, I listen for my game, which is deer or elk or bear, the thing is they're just as noisy as we are out in the woods if you pay attention, if you're listening. Um, and some, the bear are a little bit quieter because they've got nice big pads. Equate that to a, a, a Sasquatch. You know, I've, I've, I've never snuck up on one. I'm usually sitting there. I'm not looking for them. I'm, I'm kind of just stealthily moving along. And when I hunt, is I'll move like maybe 100 yards, and then I'll stop for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I, I just sit, look, listen, smell. And, and that's kind of the way... By doing so, you tune yourself into this into the environment. That's we all have this um, ability to do it, but I think people, I think most of people have lost their connective way to the you know to to the woods or to the forest or to nature, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, a- a- absolutely, Larry. It makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I think it's something this, this that ability to really. Uh, and I'm not getting woo on people, but become one with the nature, become one with the surroundings. You know, hunters, you know, like I said, use this. Uh, naturalists do this. Uh, and those that really want to escape and enjoy nature, uh, and enjoy the sounds, you know. Uh, but, you, Larry, it's something I, I do believe that most have lost uh, this, this ability to really sit down and obtain all the sounds in, in the forest and, and differentiate the different sounds and stuff. Um, I think people have really lost this, and, and, and it's something to be enjoyed regardless of the Sasquatch phenomena. But, Larry, do you, do you think this applies to research? Do you think that um, people are lacking this today? And, and if so, if you do believe it applies to research, how does it, this, uh, you know, ability to really, you know, um, kind of, soothe yourself into your surroundings, do you think it applies to research and how so? Well, absolutely it does. Um, to uh, give you an idea, and then I'll go segue into your question, basically, just like I was talking to you about me decompressing, um, and then the longer you stay out in the woods, the more natural it feels. I think there's a latent fear and and, and and folks these days that they won't admit to, but the woods are kind of a scary place. Puts off 
uh, and you can I can only equate this to other animals is that you've heard that big cats can smell fear um, or other animals can sense fear. I think if you're not comfortable in, within that within the environment uh, in a way that you're pretty much you just go to sleep right out there, which, which I kind of do once in a while, take a nap now. But that's kind of like my second home, um, being out in the woods. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't mind living out there year round. Uh, but that can't happen because I got to make money. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that money thing. But yeah. uh, I've gotten to a point where I've been trying to teach my son, and very few people can do this. I, maybe Derek can too. But um, when you're so in tune with your environment, and I'm talking about the deepest part of the woods. Um, I I used to hunt what's called deep woods deep woods elk, and they're you know they stick down to the bottoms of the canyons in the dark stuff. That um, after a while, you can actually feel a pressure wave as they walk out with it as they're moving across the the forest within 20 yards, but you can't see them. The pressure wave is sort of like a temperature gradient. It's kind of like a radar, for lack of a better term. I can't really explain it. But there's a when when an animal walks by within close proximity and you can't see it, there's a pressure wave just because you know of them moving through the air, that type of sense. We have that ability to actually feel this stuff, but it's so buried, you know, and it takes a long time for a person to be able to turn on these senses that we all we all carry within us. Um, moving forward. Of course, it's important, uh, you know, for for us to bring this type of uh, mythology into your research. It does two things. First of all, it relaxes you. I believe that uh, just like when I'm walking around, like I was walking around this this weekend, walked right up to a deer, you're almost pretty close to a deer, walked right up to a herd of elk. There's hunters running around all over the place out in the woods, and these guys here were just as calm, calm as ice. Why? Um, I wasn't really hunting for them, uh, for one thing, and I moved methodically slow and quiet, uh, trying not to make as much noise as like what everybody else does. Now, it's got a double-edged sword sometimes with that because they expect man to be making a bunch of noise, but it also, you know, if you're in a calm demeanor and you're not really, you know, uh, what's the word I'm doing, you know, in an aggressive stance, I think that brings more um, animals in or curious going, that guy's acted different. They're just as perceptive as we are, probably more so. You know, they can read body. I believe that animals can read body language or intent, um, just like I can read their body language and demeanor. And I think if we go... Like, for instance, I'm not really looking for Bigfoot when Bigfoot shows up for whatever reason. It just happens just happens that way i'm doing something else i think if you're intense just to kind of i think for lack of a better word just relax being in a relaxed state and not as hyper vigilant like what was that sound just take a grain of salt and move towards that sound but in a slow methodical way right yeah i mean i think that's what i'm trying to say yeah i'm i'm Picking up what you're putting down, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, Larry, you've been a hunter for a good majority of your life. I know some fantastic hunters, and, and there's uh, usually, if you're a really good hunter, there's a lot of things 
people are doing alike. You know, you're not, you know, if you're, you're out hunting, say, elk, you're not going to be smashing through the brush, stomping around, you know, crashing around. Uh, and you're going in with, uh, you know, and I'm not speaking for all hunters. I'm sure there's a lot of successful hunters out there. But your demeanor and your actions, I think, speak volumes in the woods without maybe speaking, you know, uh, without making a whole lot of noise. It's just your actions in general, quick movements and stuff. I think that's a, a key thing. And to to a lot of hunters uh, being successful, you know, I often wonder. <clears throat> pardon me. I often wonder, you know, why Bob Gimlin and Roger Patterson on their horses out in Bluff Creek had the opportunity to record um, on video, uh, you know, a Sasquatch. You know, I, I often wonder how that came about and how they were lucky to do that. And uh, something I need to ask Bob, you know, what was their demeanor? Because I've never asked him. You know, I, I've talked to Bob, I don't know how many times, and he's a friend of mine, but I've never actually asked him, hey, Bob, what was your demeanor when you guys were out there? Yet You were on horses, yes, and some people say because you guys were on horses, you got that footage because it sounded, you know, it didn't sound human-like. It was something, you know, could have been, could have sounded like an elk or anything else. But what was you guys' demeanor that day, both you guys? What was your, you know, looking back, your perception, your intent, you know, I I know their intent, but I don't know their intent. You know how they were exuding that intent, and I often wonder, you know, if they were, you know, being woodsmen and outdoorsmen and hunters and and very good at all of the above, if that played a role into why, you know, or they just plain got lucky. I don't know, being in the right place at the right time, which you know I think plays a part in a lot of Sasquatch sightings, but it's the demeanor and the actions displayed, you know, uh, to creep up on something. Um, you know, like you were just talking about, Larry, you know, having um, come across that deer, you know, and, and then the elk you came across this, you know, this past weekend. Uh, we've done that before, and I know you've done that. But it really is about, and we're not talking about hunting, just being out in the woods, exploring um, and, and enjoying our environment <clears throat> plays a huge role. But uh, i, I got to ask Bob Gimlin someday, uh, hopefully sooner than later, you know, about this subject, because it, I'm, I'm curious if it played a role into why they actually got something on video, you know? I mean, what do you think? I've, I've actually got a uh, part of that. I think I got part of that answer. If yeah. there are, is an indigenous population of elk in that area, I don't know. But horse and elk smell an awful lot alike. So you have the scent factor going for you right there. Mm-hmm. It's, the horses are masking the human scent. Now, one of the things that's really interesting for me, at least when I'm I'm out around, and again, Patty has lived out in the woods all of her life and knows all the smells, right? Well, the same thing, you know, when I decompress and I use hearing first, you know, and a matter of fact, um, it depends on what the wind is and stuff, is I'll use smell and the sense of smell. It's very heightened after so much time in the woods or, you know, if it's as you decompress, that, um, you know, I don't think I could differentiate that much between a horse and an elk. Um, there, is, there are differences, but, you know, at the first blast, I don't think you could tell the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there is a dip, you know, unless you're good at pheromones, I'm not. You know, <laughs> that type of thing. But pheromones or whatever it is that, uh, you know, makes the animal unique that they are. But since these guys are sitting on top of sweaty horses and stuff, they smell like horse. Also, you know, there's there's animal 
ungulate sounds coming from the horses as they're coming down the trail. I think that wouldn't alarm an apex predator. Probably cause more curiosity, in my opinion, where they'd be going, oh, what is coming down there? They, you know, this, who knows? Maybe she was watching them and decided, oh, couple guys on horses and just walks off the fascinating thing about that footage is she's walking not running not running walking away i've always found that fascinating so she wasn't even alarmed um you know i'm thinking about this is that mankind and sasquatch have been bumping each other for millennia you know um through indian legend and stuff like that I think they well know that we're the most dangerous thing in, on, in the woods just because mm-hmm. we use weapons. So they know our reach, per se. Um, and I don't think they want to have nothing to do with us. I mean, we're pretty violent. You know? And um, <clears throat> that's kind of the way I, I kind of perceive. Uh, you know, I watched that film from Patty, Inside Out and Backwards. She's not alarmed. She's just walking away. I always found that yeah. interesting. I mean, I asked yeah, Bob, how close were you to her? He goes less than 30 yards. He was pulling out his 30-30 out of the scabbard to, co- to cover up Patterson in case she yeah. became aggressive and headed over his way. Nope, she right. just kept on going. You know? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of discussion there. You know, I don't want to swift gears in the show, but I'll just mention that. You know, there's a lot of discussion there. You know, Patty seemed to be... Uh, looked like she was, you know, um, e- either had given birth or had had, had given birth or was about to, <clears throat> pardon me, um, but and maybe she was luring them away from some young ends. I mean, it's all, it's all, you know, uh, conjecture. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. A uh, lot of thoughts behind it. I'm not trying to switch, switch gears on the show here, but you did mention Native Americans, and I think that's an important aspect when we're talking about this show about you know, being kind of uh, in one with, you know, your your surroundings and listening is that, you know, Native American lore have, you know, they basically, you know, report have being around these things quite frequently, and, uh, and you have to wonder why. Well, one, I have to say is that they were living in that environment all the time. Their, their survival depended on being able to hunt and thrive, and so if they were not – listening, you know, I mean, they didn't have the distractions like nowadays where you have, the, the, you know, cars and cell phones and computers and bells and whistles and all this stuff. Uh, they pretty much, the noises they heard and were, you know, of themselves and uh, nature in general. And so there's a key exactly. element there. Yeah, that I think something we lack because we're not living in that environment, so we don't get to experience all of that. And yet, and, and even differentiate uh, the different sounds out there. I mean, if uh, you know, uh, I, I wish I had been alive back then because I probably, w- I guarantee, I would have learned a lot. You know, of uh, the different sounds that I that I assume I know, and sometimes I I don't. You hit that on the head. It's an amazing thing when you think back how you know uh, how the the, tri- the tribal the tribal Americans and Native peoples uh, how they uh, live one with with the land, and think about that one with the land. They only took what they needed. And lived pretty much a, a peaceful existence. Uh, there wasn't many skirmishes. There were some Indian uh, war skirmishes, but there wasn't, not like present day. Um, so they were pretty much peaceful. 
at least the ones here in the Pacific Northwest and stuff like that. Um, I've always thought how they, uh, you know, uh, moved with the seasons. They harvested deer. They fish, uh, you know, the berries. I mean, the huckleberries. Oh, my gosh. They're just coming on up there in the op- up, up there at, uh, where you live. Just crazy nuts. I mean, all over the place. I mean, what a harvest. Uh, food sources <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. And um, I think they're still getting, those things were still getting ripe up there. Just amazing um, what yeah, nature yeah. provides. Uh, you know, and um, I just think that with regards to the Native peoples and like the, the hunters that might be listening right now, maybe they can relate to what I was saying, especially with regards to decompression. It's just, uh, I think most people have lost our, I think we've just lost our ability to adapt to what's really natural, which is, you know, the, the environment. Um, we live in our, we live in an artificial environment with all sorts of, noise whether you hear it or not i mean our lights are putting out 60 hertz of a, a frequency you know we're basically short-circuiting ourselves um all sorts of uh stuff uh going on tvs putting out 120 uh hertz uh um you know the like you said the computers everything we live in a very noisy environment if you don't think that affects your the human human body you're wrong it does um oh, i think we're I, I think we are short-circuited. Uh, it's not our – we all have a resonance frequency. You know, this is this is actually the way we're supposed to be. Living in the artificial environment we are with the, today's electronics, all the noise from freeways and cars, um, you know, the perfumes and all sorts of stuff that's not even natural, you know, for what we would normally do um, or normally did back then. We're pretty short-circuited, and that's why it takes a little bit longer. For somebody like me, well, for me, it doesn't take that long to switch off city and switch on woods because I, I go out quite often. Um, right. But for a layman or for somebody who goes, I'm going to go out uh, Sasquatching, we well, get this <laughs> to learn how to do. It just, you just can't wake up in the morning and become a, I'm going to go out and research. It just doesn't, you know, you, good luck. You know, it's not going to work. And, you know, most of the people that see, uh, have sightings, they're not looking for Bigfoot. They're out for a Sunday drive. You know, that's the other thing, too, is acting natural, you know, uh, doing what humans do, sitting at a campfire, minding your own business, you know, or, you know, go to sleep. They show up snort, one more snoring, you know, whatever. Um, but that's kind of the word. I, I think that the, if you're acting natural and non-aggressive, um, I think that lends – credence to where it piques their curiosity this guy's not normal he's mm-hmm. there's something different about that guy you know i'm gonna right. pay attention to him right you know that's kind of where i'm funny. going with that yeah because you know I, I would imagine you know uh perhaps and just throwing this out there is a hypothesis or idea but we you know with your your you know your native americans uh first nations people you know they were fairly i won't say totally predictable but somewhat predictable and nowadays you have people out in the woods that are so unpredictable because nowadays everybody's doing crazy stuff. Um, no animal is safe as to knowing what a human's going to do nowadays because people are just doing all sorts of crazy things, you know, and not being natural, whereas Native Americans were much more natural in their environment, you know. It, um, uh, it, you know, 
nowadays we're so visually stimulated. Everything has to be visual. We've kind of lost that right. listening and, and feeling being out in nature. Now we need to be visually stimulated. We have to get something on film, you know. It, it's a visual stimulation rather than um, uh, a hearing stimulation, you know. It's, I mean, it's nuts. And I think that really doing uh, – I don't think enough researchers nowadays, everybody's so keen on throwing something on YouTube visually or, or Facebook or getting in, uh, on the news um, that it's all about visual and, and we lack so much in, in the endeavor of research by doing this and uh, true research. You know, I look at people like uh, Jane Goodall. You know, her approach when she – and I'm, you know, I'm not saying Sasquatch is an ape. I, I lean that direction, some sort of primate. But with, with nature and being involved in nature, Jane Goodall is a perfect example uh, as to one that uh, – as to her approach. You know, imagine if she was – you know, out there with the chimps, these chimpanzees and whatnot, and she was stomping around the woods uh, and, uh, you know, making a fool of herself and not really taking in what she, you know, and understanding the chimpanzees. She would have never got to where she is nowadays. In fact, it never would have happened, and she probably wouldn't put herself in harm, harm's way being that close to them. Um, it's something that we lack. I think, uh, you know, we've lost this this touch with nature you know, uh, I mean, uh, do you agree, Larry? Well, you you, t- you're, you danced all around something that I think we should talk about, and that is in, in that man, us, most people have lost their respect for nature. In that same sense, talking about Jane Goodall, if you looked at any of the films that she had, she had great respect for the power that was before her, i.e., the chimps. Chimps are eight times stronger than a human being. That's pretty powerful in itself. Nature is powerful. Um, people just kind of arbitrarily start running around out in the woods thinking they're going to do this or that. Well, the woods is a dangerous place. There's a power there that people forget about. You can get hurt. You can get killed. Um, there are animals out there that can kill you. A deer can kill you just by his front paws, his front hoofs, just by doing a kick. Um, and then mountain lions, you know, they can break an elk's neck with one swipe of its paw. I mean, there's power out there, I, I think, that people don't realize that they need to respect. Even when walking around in the woods, and rather than running here and there and whooping and stuff like that, um, that's not natural. You know what I mean? Um, there's different ways to research, and that's just kind of like being quiet, you know, and, and, and maybe, you know, maybe being quiet, being respectful in a way when you're through the woods a little bit more quieter in your footsteps um, and keeping your eyes peeled. Look for that flicker of movement. Look for that, you know, that's what I do is I use my periphery vision a lot, and that's something you have to train yourself with. That's most of the time when I see my animals, they're not right in front of me. They're in my periphery. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And those, are things, yeah. those are things you have to really think about. Well, you know, with a lot of researchers, and myself included, you know, I seem to get a lot of really solid, interesting recordings when I'm asleep or really quiet, and I think that plays a role. You know, uh, those researchers or people out in the woods, you know, um, that claim to have stuff happen, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions there, but one of the things I've noticed over the years is the power of being quiet and listening 
and I, you know, I do think it's a double-edged sword because I think if you're acting unnatural in the environment, you know, if you're out there in the woods and you're not making noise, um, that Sasquatch and animals in general might be kind of like, oh, there was noise and now there's no noise. And so there's a double-edged sword there, but I think there's a, a difference because a lot of researchers go in the field with this in, intention and there's some some vibe coming off them um, that may may possibly scare off anything you know that may be around the area, regardless of it's Sasquatch or not, uh, because of this this uh, uh, I don't even know the word. I want to say vibe. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of things that's you a, pick up on that uh, known animals. Yeah, I I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, the vibe. I mean, think about it. I mean, animals by their by their very nature, have to observe everything to survive, right? So if the guy's walking around, you know, and he's pounding on trees and kind of whooping and stuff like that, or he's walking very fast in a single direction and then suddenly stops and looks and listens, um, hunters don't even do that. But we take our time, we sit down, we listen, you know, that type of thing. Um, some of us walk around like ninja warriors, if you will, real quiet in our footsteps and stuff. There's different different ways of going about it, but the thing is, is uh, I think, in a way, some people, when they're, and I've been around a few people I've been trying to teach, um, there's a hurriness. Everyone's in a hurry, you know, and I think that's because they haven't let go the, the where they just came from the city to slow it down. So <clears throat> when those themselves to this to this environment, which is our natural environment, you know, that's what I got. I keep on trying to tell people: this is our natural environment. The house isn't. That's where we sleep. But I sleep just as well out in the woods. As a matter of fact, I sleep harder out in the woods than I do in my own house. You and you me both. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it doesn't take much. And the thing is, is that um, I think we just need to dial it back some and stop, uh, and think about the intent that you have while you're out there. And like I said, all animals observe. They know um, what's going on with you. Well, they'll even know that you're coming before you even know they're there. Right. Another good right. good point. You know, they're already watching you. You know, mm-hmm. their eyes are keyed yeah. on movement. Absolutely. You know, no, that that's another. I mean, yeah, that's another great point is observation. You know, I mean, uh, listening is one thing, but if you're, you know, nowadays we're so keen on on this virtual stimulation, I don't think we're really keen on on uh, what observing and observation really is, you know, we're, we're twitchity. We're looking back and forth. Oh, what's that? What's this? You know, um, and, and fasten our movements. Um, it's, it, you know, as a hunter, you know, it does it. If you're twitchity in the field and, and moving back and forth that you stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, there's no <laughs> hiding that, you know, uh, if you look at a lot of, um, animal movements, they're very slow, methodical, uh, and uh, they they know because if they make the wrong movement, their cover is gone. And I think Sasquatch does the same thing. You know what? How many reports have I heard of a Sasquatch laying motionless or still for 20 minutes or longer? Uh, some people saying they never knew they were there. You know, uh, I was talking to Barcatino, who has some of the best thermal footage out there. You know, talking about his first view through a thermal of a Sasquatch and its movement, how methodical it was, how slow 
uh, it was, you know, it's really amazing that, you know, that was a human. I mean, I just couldn't see a human staying still that long. Uh, and that's one of the things that we lack is that uh, methodical movement. You know, hunters, you know, hunters, and there's other individuals out there very capable of doing this and that do do it, but as a vast majority when it comes to those in the woods, whether it's a researcher or a naturalist or a hiker or whatever, we're fast in our movements, and we stick out like a sore thumb, scaring everything away. And it's no wonder that uh, we don't get more out of the Sasquatch phenomenon than we do, you know, now, because everybody's uh, trying to get that killer piece of footage and whatnot. We're 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 not seeing the forest through the trees, so to speak. Exactly. Uh, the the whole, well, the whole thing is is I think we just need to slow it down. Slow it down in the sense of just relaxing i i for lack of a better term i've been around a lot of people that have been in the woods that uh they're super tense whether they're they don't they're, whether they're afraid of the environment internally or they're just want to hurry up and well like when i'm hunting with somebody especially i haven't hunted before i just like this guy wants to wants to kill something i'm at a point in my life i can care less if i kill anything anymore my whole thing how close can I get to it? Mm-hmm. I'm more into stalking these days. And um, it's more of a challenge to me. That's why I archery hunt. And uh, I've even passed up big bulls just to see how close I can get to them. You know, it's like walk right up to one, and I tap one between the, right between his antlers one time with my, with my arrow. My son and my other buddies were completely, you didn't, I can't believe you didn't shoot that. I was more in trying to see if I could walk up to him without even him knowing it. And I did it. The one thing I've learned in the, you know, in the years of being in the forest is I let the animals teach me. And that's through observation of how they move. They do what they eat, how they, and this is deer, elk, and bear, just how they act in their environment. Great teaching tools that I try to emulate when I'm out in the woods, but that only comes through observation um, mm-hmm. to understand how they move, how they feed, what they do when they're looking around, you know, all sorts of, it's really interesting is when you start to mimic the animals that you hunt and their movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just find it, and it's relaxing too. Um, if you're yeah. relaxed, they're relaxed, and they do. I I just know this because I've seen I've seen it over and over again. If there's those sudden movements, and somebody's gonna pull up, oh, you know, you know, they just these sudden movements and stuff spook them. But if it's calm and methodical, you're part of the environment, and mm-hmm. they don't care. Well, reading the environment, that, you know, Larry, I know you're a big fisherman, and I know I've seen the pictures. Uh, with you, uh, you know, salmon fishing and steelhead fishing, and I know, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a big fisherman too. And part of being a fisherman, I take a lot of how I fish into the field as far as research. You know, I'm always trying to find that pinch point or that area where the fish are going to be at. I try to read the seasons, the water, the area I'm fishing in, and what the fish are doing. I'm always trying to read that, and and I've become fairly successful doing that. And I know you've done it because I've seen your pictures. I know you've been to Alaska. And, in fact, you've been around Grizzly uh, and got to see them uh, firsthand. I've seen Grizzly uh, behind a cage, but I've never 
unfortunately got to see it recently in its natural environment. I know you have, so you got a lot of experience there. Yeah, I got. I've been uh, close to grizzly, black bear, and the the coastal brown bears. I've been what thirty, forty feet from them. Um, again, you have to read the animal. I mean, there's there's especially with bears. Uh, it's a whole different ball game on how to deal with these animals. They're highly aggressive. They're very, their eyesight is horrible. Uh, their body language is totally different, and you have to let them talk to you in a way that if they're pissed off, you'll know. Um, some are calm. Some are, you know, uh, aggressive. It's quite an interesting thing to watch. Um, but after a few weeks up in Alaska, hanging around with this uh, Sal Brown bear, uh, Coastal Brown, and her cubs, she taught me a lot about herself and how and how at least uh, some of the ones are around there. They're pretty much just interested in the fish. You're intruding into their on their. You're standing on their dinner table. Got to understand that it's their dinner table, and we're an intruder. And that's kind of how I take. It. It, 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 you know, from spending time up in Alaska, spending as much time as I'm out in the woods, you know, you're walking in these animals' dinner table, if you stop to think about it. Um, the clear cuts, for instance, everyone thinks that, you know, a lot of people think that uh, deer, elk, and bear eat out in the woods. No, that's their, that's their bedroom. They eat around the peripheries of a clear cut or in a clear cut. That's where the food sources are or in open areas. But again, when you're walking through these areas, you're either walking through the bedroom, get on their dinner table. It's a whole different thing when you're walking on a dinner table. You've got to, you know, that's when you got to go really slow and, and quiet. Um, you know, that's when you see the animals. Or if you're walking in their bedroom, i.e. the woods. Another thing is, is that they're kind of bedded down, um, relaxing and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I look at things when I'm out walking around. Or, or taking my time walking around. Those are the two rooms, if you will, the bedroom, the woods, the open spots, the dinner table. It's kind of how I look at it. That's 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 interesting, you know, when you mentioned clear cuts too, because, you know, a lot of Sasquatch sightings seem to occur, even in, in our Tillamook area and some of these other areas where reports come from, around clear cuts. I mean, how many reports have we heard of? Sasquatch being in and around or multiple Sasquatch being in and around clear cuts. Um, I don't think it's where they live, just like the bear and, and everything else, but it's where they come to feed, you know, and it's uh, it, that's that's a really interesting insight because it, it's true. I mean, you got a lot of reports from being in and around clear cuts, um, you know, where where you got this, this, you know, fresh growth and this fresh, you know, reprod and everything else. Uh, that uh, it's it, you know it's kind of like a garden you know it's a garden it's not where these things reside it's where they come to feed both prey and predator exactly and, yeah both prey and predator and uh, and and you know you know this for a fact Larry where where do a lot of hunters end up <laughs> sitting on top of clear cuts you know? <laughs> exactly yeah yeah but the funny yeah. thing is is you know like uh, as an archery hunter myself and it's like a thousand degrees outside, a hundred and something degrees outside. I'm not really hanging out near the dinner table per se, because that's what usually they hit that like late at night until about three in the morning. Then they go to the, to water source for water sources. 
and then they go to their bedroom, usually deep down on the bottom of you know the deepest, darkest part of the woods to get away from, get away from the the heat, the extreme heat, and also the insects. You got you know this the the heat and insects play a massive role in in animal behavior that you got to understand in order to find them. And you could we could also equate that as well to uh, an eight foot tall apex predator. They're going to be bothered by heat. They're heat sensitive, just like we are. They can't take off their clothes. They're going to be around a water source. And, well, you just mentioned you know, something deeper, deeper in the woods. Yeah. Right, exactly. I was just going to say, uh, people don't do that. <laughs> you know, people don't do that. People don't go to the deepest part dark spots of the woods you know we get bugs on us and we start spraying ourselves and we we like oh there's a lot of bugs over there i'm not going that direction i mean uh, that's just people in general but you're talking about something that uh, has to hide for a living where are they going to go you know um where are they going to go we're not going to think about these dark spots one because it's not somewhere we want to be and two we don't know you know as humans you know that that may be a reprieve from the insects but uh, you, you guarantee you're uh your Sasquatch your, 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 and everything else, they know where to go, but we don't, and we don't go to those spots. We just don't. They're dangerous. They're dark. We're not built for that environment, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> exactly. Now, here's another thing, too, especially in the Pacific Northwest. In every deep, dark canyon, there is a body of water that runs through them, every single one. It's an interesting fa- – it's a fact. I mean, you can just take a look. It's a drainage. And so the water runs through and runs into a bigger stream and so forth and down to a river. Um, <laughs> the uh, Excuse me. But the, the deepest, darkest spots, I mean, it, it, it's not often that people have daylight sightings. I happen to have one at 12, 15 p.m. Uh, what was that, last March? But it was coming out of one of those deep, dark, dark places. Uh, and this was in March from a water source, but even that experience there taught me something. It taught me where it came from, and as a mental note to myself, as a place to search later um, or to, to investigate later, to go down in one of these deep, dark places and do something and methodically wander around. I think that's an area that should be of interest. Also, about halfway up the ridge, halfway up one of these hills, there's like – one of these crevasses, or not crevasses, you know, the d- deep, dark places about halfway up is where, as I, if I, I found many um, cougar, I found elk, you know, big bull elk. They sit about halfway up, and it's kind of like a ledgy thing that, you know, that, that they'll sit yeah. on to observe. And that's, those are places that need to be looked at too. A great place to set audio, think about that. It's just above, it's in between. You get the echoes. You you know, get a sense of direction. Um, great great uh, places to check out. Again, well, Larry, being if you're Larry, slow and methodical. Let me cut you off real quick because I want to lead into the, to uh, the audio aspect because I know uh, you know Larry, you've been on the show before with audio and and talking about audio. But these these you know I often say that if you're going to find possible bones of a Sasquatch or any any critter, uh, especially, you know, it's probably going to be in these deep, dark crevasses, uh, areas, these deep, dark places. You know, if I'm, if I'm going to go out there and die, uh, I would imagine if I'm something like a Sasquatch, it's going to be somewhere where 
I can die in peace where no one's going to find me. And that's just, you know, a guesstimation. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a Sasquatch. I'm not a, I'm not a cougar. Um, but a lot of the, you know, we don't find a whole lot of cougar bones or bear bones or any Sasquatch bones. No, we don't. I would imagine I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the deepest, darkest crevice. I'm going to go somewhere where no one's going to find me, and then uh, I'll die peacefully and nature can take its course. But, you know, that leads into um, the, the audio aspect, you know, or a placement of audio and other things. You know, we were talking about this before the show, and we've talked about it many times, you know, many times, uh, you know, just over a campfire or being out in the woods, about effective research and an effective uh, placement of audio. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. As a matter of fact, let's uh, um, uh, look see. Uh, if any of, you, uh, of your listeners are interested, um, I'll, we'll talk about something here for a little bit, but grab yourself a pen- right. uh, pencil and a piece of paper, and I'm going to give you the audio settings that I use that uh, would be best uh, for everybody to use um, because it will shorten up your, uh, your uh, recording time uh, and give you the best quality so that others can evaluate it. Um, we talked about we've done this before for placement of audio. Um, we get pretty tricky out there. I mean, right. we find some pretty nice, let's say we find a nice sincere spot. We find this uh, real nice oak tree or not or a, ma- a maple tree or whatever. And, and say the crot or the split is like 12 feet up. Um, I'd help Shane get up there and he would set up a recorder in there and we'd bury it in moss. That's 12 feet up. It's pointed off. It doesn't matter what direction, especially uh, uh, right now because we, do, we don't know what's going on in that area. That's a good, good way to survey an area. What I mean by that is, is if you've got a bunch of recorders and you're in an area and you say you're a mile from camp, why not set a recorder there? Let it soak in that environment. Let it run for 12 hours. And after that 12 hours, you're going to find out what's in the area. Um, might get some cool stuff. Uh, the, you know, what did I leave home with? What six recorders? You bring your two. I mean, there's times we have like twelve recorders out. It gets a little funny uh, when Shane and I are trying to remember where all these recorders are, especially when we bury them or hide them underneath, well, you know, moss or everything. We else. rarely GPS them. We rarely GPS them. We try to go off. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we should GPS them. Yeah, we go off and. We've we've never done that. We've somehow never lost a recorder, although we've had a couple hour searches. <laughs> it's <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah. So hey, uh, folks, let's let's see if you guys got your pen and paper. I'll tell you how to set your uh, recorders up. Um, the, the format should be an MP3 and at 320 kilohertz. Uh, the sample rate should be at 44.1 kilohertz. Um, all these recorders are stereo, so we won't go into that. The size or the duration of your file should be 64 megabytes or 27 minutes. Um, most recorders have this ability to do most of this stuff. So if you wrote that down, try to set up your recorders uh, accordingly or re-listen to the show and try to set it up. I think that would be a great help for everybody. And what that does is allows you to email uh, files back and forth to other folks or to you know myself or you know David or any any other person that's good with bioacoustics um, they'd be able to analyze these files 
as they won't be too terribly big. They'll be detailed with the best quality uh, that you could possibly have, uh, and given it makes the technology it, that we have right it makes now. It, it, well, it makes it easier to to go back and, and listen, you know, because when I when I first exactly. got involved with audio recording, you know, um, I was using Sony's and Tascams, and uh, I'd really didn't have my settings correct, and all the settings you just mentioned were uh, something I learned later on, but I would listen straight through, you know, 12 hours of recording, um, you know, even if something um, something of interest that I heard in person uh, happened, uh, it would it, I have to fast forward and try and find it. Whereas, you know, these increments of recording make it much simpler to listen to and uh, dial down as to you know the the time frame of when something transpired, when something happened, and that's very important. And it, it, you know, also like you were mentioning, Larry, it makes it you know these files make it easier to send to people. Uh, you know, whether it's someone in the Bigfoot world or or a naturalist or somebody in, that's involved with audio to to uh, to uh, send them to them in these increments. It just it, it makes life so much easier. It's something that I learned over time, over many years, and uh, something that. Um, David Ellis and such yourself, Larry, have taught me with audio, and man, it's really made my experience uh, all, uh, that much easier, and uh, it makes for better listening. Absolutely, it does. Um, well, you listen, I look, I look and listen. But mm-hmm. um, the whole thing is with this size of a file, it's easier. It's easier, especially with what I do with the bioacoustics of looking at the bioacoustic signatures using, you know, through spectral analysis, I'm able to go through a file and take a look for the anomalous things that are, I'm so used to looking at files, folks, is that I could take a look at a file and I could tell you from just a signature without even having my headphones on, that's a barred owl, that's a coyote. You know, you know th- those are crickets. Uh, th- th- this big buzzing thing, that thing there that runs across the screen is a insect that hasn't shut up. And we've had those nights. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it just ruins audio. But um, the whole point of the matter is, is I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm looking down in the lower registry for some more anomalous uh, signatures that are that fit what we call the sweet spot. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, there are some high-pitched calls, like the Ohio call is going to be a little bit higher. Uh, some of the recordings I've had are a little bit higher. But most of the stuff is down lower in the lower registry. That's more of a sweet spot that I look for. Also, there's a difference with, uh, like, for instance, human voices kind of look like a little comma. Um, suspected Sasquatch sounds, they kind of got a comma, but it's more thicker, a little bit lower in our, than our registry, uh, where it lays in the sweet spot, and there's kind of a thicker curly Q type of a look to it. Uh, I mean, I show a lot of stuff like like you're skidding on the highway. It's like, oh, there it is right there. And then we listen and go, right. that's cool. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right, Shane? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. But, Larry, what, what um, you know, when you're listening to audio since we're on the subject, I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, placement of audio and, and actually placement of anything. You know, we talk about a lot about trail cameras and how we don't get anything out of them. But when when you're looking at audio, what are you specifically – as Larry Turner looking for, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, uh, the differences in sounds and, and recognizing those. But what are you specifically looking for that you find suspect when you're listening to a recording 
um, whether you've heard it in person or just recorded it. What are you looking for? Well, like I said, every everything out there, whether it's a barred owl, a coyote, or, or a bobcat, fox, bear, they all have their signature sweet spots. We're going to call it that for just this, for the sake of yeah. trying to speed this up. They all have their signature sweet spots, and it ranges in a in a frequency in a specific frequency range. Like for instance, coyotes kind of hover around the twenty kilohertz range. They can go up and down in there a little bit. Foxes are just a little bit above or below. They they're very boisterous. They got many different calls um, that could really confuse a person if you're not used to hearing fox calls. Um, they got quite a repertoire. Coyotes they have different calls too. So you got to be understand what you're look, look, listening to, um, but they all have this little sweet spot. In. Just draw yourself a box and put like five lines on it. Well, the top line would be birds and insects, uh, and then as you move down towards the center, or say the third line, that would be somewhere the the coyote range, the fox range, if you would. Then the fourth line would be sort of like the, the human range talking. And then there's a fifth line from the floor. And then to the fifth line, or the fifth line as you're coming down from the top, that's kind of the area that I look for, that I look in to see something that's anomalous. And what I mean by that is you have ground, you have ground uh, like, uh, for lack of a better term, you'll have some wind that... Um, but the, the real strong signals, if you would, would show up in that lower registry area. Again, that's not to say that suspected Bigfoot or Sasquatch uh, calls can't go into the upper registry. They do. Um, they're, they're kind of in between and above sometimes in the coyote range as well. So it's, uh, it's kind of a hard thing to describe, but you get used to seeing this stuff so much that you right. can see the, the difference between a coyote and a suspected Bigfoot call, and, or um, you know, uh, definitely barred owls. You know, they they're just a signature of all their own, kind of like a hook type of a comma right. type look. Right. And so, you know, you just you just know, and you just kind of look, and you see me go through a twenty-eight minute file in five minutes, and if I see something, I'm I'm dead on it, you know. And you go, how did yeah. you do that? Well, that's kind of what I do on my sleep, you know, that type <laughs> of thing. Does that kind of explain it? No, it does perfectly, Larry. And what it showcases here is the amount of time it takes to really get to know um, software, and not just software, but also. Uh, you know, what you're listening to, it, it, you know, it takes countless, countless hours, as I know I have spent and you have spent and people like David Ellis of the Olympic Project and others. Uh, there's many others out there that have done the same, uh, other research groups and individuals. I mean, if you look at naturalists and, and those that record uh, sounds from nature, whether it's a bird guy or or a bear guy, they, it's something that takes a lot of experience and a lot of time-tested time in the field and listening to recordings and then perfecting your recording devices and placing those in the optimum, you know, uh, spots. Something that uh, requires uh, skill because it's something that's developed over time. Something that I, I can appreciate uh, having done it. 
One thing we should probably talk about, um, say uh, some folks out here have got their own research areas. Um, I don't know if they've ever heard of audio triangulation. Now, this is something that we've done in our, our area. Um, oh, yeah. Most of our sounds, like a lot of times, were coming from the east, and we decided to do audio or, or uh, bioacoustic uh, triangulation. And what that is is you set, uh, say, one recorder facing east, uh, um, say to the to the right of your area, maybe 300 yards, and then you go another 300 yards from that point, from center over, so they're about 600 yards apart and facing that east, and then you bring a third one up another 600 yards and facing that east. That's that's the audio or bioacoustic triangulation. And what that does is help you determine where exactly the sound or, or the subject is calling from. You're either going to, you know, all three, all three recorders will pick up the sound, but which one's going to have the strongest sound? That's right. where you key in. That's triangulation. Absolutely fantastic, Larry. Um, I mean, this is great stuff. You know, we're, we are speaking a little bit about to those that actually are out researching, but also to those inquisitive on the subject about how how people go out recording stuff, uh, as I perceive it to be the right way. Um, and, and it's uh, another show topic down the road uh, for sure. But, Larry, we're closing on the end of the show. I do appreciate you and your insight and your thoughts. Uh, been a, it's been a fascinating show. It's something I love to discuss. I can't discuss this subject enough, the Sasquatch phenomenon and, and then the, uh, the science behind it and what we're doing to, uh, to um, uh, further the research and, and – uh, um, better ourselves in understanding what's going on in our natural environment. I mean, it's been a fascinating discussion tonight, and I appreciate you joining me, Larry. Yeah, I had a blast. Anytime, anywhere, buddy. I'm here. <laughs> Absolutely, Larry. <laughs> no, hey, you're always a fascinating guy to talk to, and uh, I know you have a ton of experience in the woods, and you're one of the guys that I uh, I uh, I go to, one of the, my favorite people researching in the field with because of your uh, thought process and uh, your demeanor. <laughs> your demeanor. You, uh, you don't... Uh, you don't easily scare, and you don't easily scare anything else around you. So I appreciate that, Larry, and thanks for joining. Yeah, my pleasure always. All right, Larry, we'll have a great evening. Thank you. Hey, no problem. Catch you later, man. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of Monstrux Radio. It's a fascinating discussion, you know, when, we come, when it comes to uh, audio and uh, and and. Being in in the field, uh, I think there's a lot to be said about your demeanor and how you approach the Sasquatch phenomena. Um, there's a lot to be said about that, and uh, I think that uh, there's just a a lot to be done and furthered in this sort of uh, aspect, this sort of research, this sort of thought process when it comes to the research. It's not really talked about a whole lot. You, you get people out there researching and it's all gung-ho and this and that but they don't really stop to see the forest of the trees or or really take in their environment or spend a lot of time in their environment and uh, Larry uh, and I were discussing tonight you know it's it, there's a lot to it it's not just uh, placing audio it's not just listening to what capability you think you're able to listen to um, but if nothing else uh, after all is said and done, whether you're a Sasquatch researcher or one that enjoys the woods, get out and enjoy 
uh, your natural environment. Get out and enjoy that because it'll do you good. It'll do your family good. It'll do your kids good. It'll do your friends good. Get out and enjoy and listen and uh, really soak in what's right there, uh, right beyond your window, right beyond uh, which maybe sometimes you're comfortable with. But get out there and enjoy it. And uh, the sky's the limit. Who knows what could happen? Who knows what you could hear or see? And really take in, really take that in. Um, but I do appreciate all you guys listening to Monsarch Radio. I'm Shane Corson, and uh, we'll catch you again next week for another episode of Monsarch Radio. Thank you. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.